0: It's impossible to translate the experiences at Engage to someone who didn't attend. The program is so immersive and designed around, well, engaging with others at the event. But I can share my biggest takeaways with you. So if you missed the New Orleans Summit or you were there but you want my perspective, tune in to this week's episode of Own Your Business. Own Your Business is a podcast for event professionals who wanna grow with proven approaches I'm Sam Jacobson, a sales, pricing, and copywriting expert in the wedding industry. Throughout my career, I've booked hundreds of events for millions in revenue. I've also led teams in premium and luxury markets. Now I coach people like you with my company, ID Action Consulting. It's not easy to run a business, especially if it's a business of one, because we aren't born knowing everything. Like you, I had experts who showed me the way when I was starting out and when I was ready to level up. I hope this podcast gives you the confidence to own your business. After I attend an Engage conference, whether it's a retreat or an experience or, in this case, a summit, I love to do a top 10 Engage takeaways. And I do this because it fits the purpose of our business, which is to take all the information that's out there that you business owners could apply to your companies and figure out which is going to be the most important or the most valuable and then translate that information into how you can apply it in, in practical and productive ways. And Now, usually I do this in a newsletter, but now we have the podcast. I thought this would be a great platform to be able to do it and be able to reach a lot of people in in this medium. So I want to spend a little bit of time going through and talking about what were some of the big takeaways that I have and how you can apply those to your business. But before we do, I want to just put a quick shout out to New Orleans. I was not thinking it was going to be a city for me. When I went into New Orleans, I had kind of a a down attitude. In fact, Katie at one point said, stop complaining about everything. Now, that was really the first half hour, and mostly because it was pretty damn hot. But I will tell you, after five days and nights, I actually grew to love New Orleans, and I can't wait to go back. The history, the people, uh, the architecture... Even the museums, which I normally don't like, I really loved. And of course, the restaurant and the food scene. I felt like there was a ton left to explore. I can't wait to go back. If you have not been, I would definitely recommend New Orleans, just maybe not in the heat of the summer. All right, so let's go on to the list of top 10 things that I think that I learned at least from Engage and how they can help you grow your business in the coming weeks and months. So, On the main stage, the very first presenter was Brian Raffinelli. Now, Brian is one of my event industry heroes. I think the world of him, I am a huge admirer of the ethics and values that he has and also the company that he's built. And my biggest takeaway from Brian's presentation was to keep your head down and go to work. Keep your head down and go to work. This is what he reminded us to do, because in many ways we can't control the catastrophe that is the outside world, whether it's the war that's going on in Russia or Ukraine or what's happening in the political climate or on the Supreme Court docket or you know, some sort of impending financial meltdown that everybody wants to keep talking about or what the price of Bitcoin is. Whatever it may be, we can't control that. But what we can control is the work that we do on the daily basis. And a lot of that is because if we become too focused on the outcome and not enough on the activities, then the outcomes that we want most are elusive because you can't focus on the goal and not the activities to get what you want. Now, I talk about this when it comes to pricing and charging more. One of the analogies that I like to use is a scale. So many people in the wedding industry are focused on how much should you charge, and that's really the wrong question or at least focus to, to put your energies and efforts on. It's like trying to get in shape and you're focused on the scale. The scale doesn't really matter. As long as you have a scale that when you step on it, it reads out a number, that's good enough. It's not really that important who makes the scale or how much it costs or where it came from or whether it's a digital or an analog. None of that really matters. What matters are the activities that you do to either burn calories or to consume healthier food. That's what you have to do. You have to focus on the activities, not the outcome. It's the same thing with your pricing for your business. If you focus on the things that you need to do, like building value and creating desire and offering reassurances during the sales process, during the purchase experience for your clients, that's when you're gonna see the price show up at the number that you want. But you can't just focus on the price and not focus on building value and creating desire and offering reassurances and get what you ultimately want from your company. You have to do these things first. And then you will book more clients at higher prices. Another thing that I really liked about this keep your head down and get to work is that you got to stop looking to your left and to your right. All right. And what I mean by that is imagine you're swimming a race and, and I, this is a popular metaphor, which is why I bring it up. I think you know where I'm going with this. And, and we want to make sure that we're not looking to the left and looking to the right when we're trying to swim our own race and stay in our own lane because it will slow you down. It's not going to help you get where you want to go faster. It'll just distract you from the activities that are most important to your biggest goals. So when you focus on what you do well And what you love to do, you'll start to hit this state of flow. You'll get into a rhythm. And this is ultimately what we want when we are doing our daily work. This is what I think what Brian meant with keep your head down and get to work. Time will slow down. Work will become easier. Creativity, more consistent. And ultimately, your productivity will go through the roof. So I definitely recommend focusing on the activities that you have, getting those things done. Yes, it's good to set goals, but don't focus on the outcome so much. Focus on the daily work that you're doing. Set yourself and your environment so you can get things done. Avoid those distractions and control what you can. The activity is not what you can't, the outcome. All right, number two big takeaway was the next speaker, Andrew Roby. And Andrew had a great story about the impact of the pandemic and specifically COVID on his life, and it was a very sad and tragic story. But I like to look at the silver linings from what he was attempting to share with us, and that was that you have to show through your daily activities what it is ultimately that you believe in most, and and this is a really powerful concept: showing through your daily activities what you believe in most. I'm going to share with you a, a term called cognitive dissonance, and it's, it's a really interesting concept. But the short version of it is that we as human beings seek to, to have our outer actions and behaviors align with our inner values and beliefs. So our outer actions and behaviors align with our inner values and belief. Now, when they don't align, when what we do does not align with what it is that we value or what we believe, we experience what's called cognitive dissonance. And things start to feel a little bit out of whack when we have this, this dissonance occur. In fact, we can actually feel pain in parts of the brain in the same way that if we felt physical pain, we feel this emotional pain or stress uh, that, that this cognitive dissonance creates. And in many ways, that comes from a a loss of identity. We begin to question who we are and what we believe in. If we do things that we don't feel represents who we are, then we start to question who are we actually, and this can be a very painful experience. Now, a classic example of cognitive dissonance is a smoker who knows that cigarettes are bad but continues to smoke anyways. You cannot see me behind the voice, but I have my hand raised. This was me. Uh, I made dumb decisions and smoked for too long in my life and I looked at a lot of different ways to try and quit smoking like people who are addicted to nicotine and cigarettes it's not an easy thing to 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 get to get out of to get out of that that cycle and I I tried to focus on things like um, you know the way that it smelled or that people would look at me disapprovingly or even expenses as, as packets of cigarettes started to get more and more expensive. I thought, well, maybe I'll quit because it's too much money, but none of those things really got me to kick the habit. The one thing that got me to kick the habit was that I could no longer reconcile the belief that I wanted to live a long and a healthy life to spend time with my kids and eventually grandkids. If I kept putting myself at risk of getting seriously ill from smoking cigarettes. So, why do I bring up cognitive dissonance and what Andrew was talking about when it came to focusing on daily activities? That's because if you live your life out of alignment with who you feel that you are, who you believe that you are and what values represent you, then you will feel it in the activities that you do day in and day out. You'll start to question who you are and what you represent. And ultimately, you'll have less conviction in the work that you're doing for either A, your company, or be your clients. And so we always have to ask ourselves this question, do we think that it's fair for us to tell ourselves one thing or even tell our clients one thing but then we do a different thing day in and day out? Are we who we say we are in our daily behaviors and actions? And if we're not, if we if we grapple with that cognitive dissonance on the regular, then it's a recipe for burnout. We know that one of the most important things that you can do to prevent burning out is to make sure that you're tying in your daily work with a sense of purpose. Why do you do what you do? The more connected you are to this on, on a daily basis, then the more likely you are to find that sense of purpose in the work that you're doing and to connect the activities that you do with the, the, the experiences that you, that you have. And so it's super important to know that and and remind yourself every day before you start work, before you go into any activity really. Now for me, I love helping people find success with their business. I seriously have wanted to do this since I was like 16 years old. I actually went to college to become a management consultant. I know that sounds crazy to most people. And it did to me too. After my freshman year, I took a year off and decided to get into English and eventually history. Uh, And and only after uh, 15 or so years was I able to go into that career. But I've always wanted to help. People find success with their business, whatever that may look like to them. And that's why I'm a business coach. It fills my cup. I don't know if you've heard of this, but it's called the Helper's High. I feel that. I feel that every single day when I get off the phone with clients. It's that feeling that you get when you see someone else reach their goals or achieve something big because of the work that you did to help get them there. That's why I do what I do. That's why we, as a company, ID Action, that's why we offer the services that we do. And it's one of the big reasons that I don't burn out and I feel like I'm burning the candle at one end rather than both ends. Not only do I love what I do, but I remind myself of it every morning when I go through my journaling exercise and I hope that it comes through in my work with Wedding Pros, not just one-on-one work or group trainings or presentations like the Engage Breakout session that we did, but also on the podcast yeah, I do it because it's helpful to you. But ultimately, it's the thing that makes me feel good more than anything else. And what Andrew reminded us is that we have to make sure that we take every single day as an opportunity to do the things that align with who we are and and what we believe that is our purpose in this world. All right. Big takeaway number three: Randy Finoli. Uh, Randy Finoli is always entertaining, and I wasn't sure what to expect, but Joe Meister did a great job interviewing him, and Randy shared lots of big takeaways, including that how important it is to know your goals and to remind themselves, remind yourself of those goals every day. Uh, another thing that I thought was really important, he said, tell people the truth no matter what, and they will respect you and desire your services because of it. And then this other thing that I thought was really important that he mentioned was to find out who's the ultimate decision maker, who's in charge and sell to them rather than to the first person who comes to you. And he was specifically talking about mothers of the bride who are in the salon when they're making the decision on the dress. You got to recognize when the mom's making the decision and and when that's the case, you got to sell to the mom. And, And that's certainly the situation for all sorts of behind the scenes decision makers. But the most important takeaway that I got from Randy's conversation was that you have to stretch your way of communicating to the person that you're talking with. And he, he even used the words mirroring and reflecting the experience that they want. Now, all of you know that I'm a huge believer in stretching your communication style to make sure that you are matching it with the way that the person you're talking with or writing with wants to communicate themselves. And that's because the the golden rule is out, right? The golden rule, which is treat others how you wanna be treated, is an inherently self-centered way of looking at how to behave and treat other people. So if you are constantly trying to treat other people the way that you wanna be treated, that means that your own priorities, your own values, your own beliefs, your own preferences are gonna come first. And instead, what we need to do, especially if we want to find success in the sales world, is we need to make sure that we are stretching out of our normal comfort zone and communicating in a way that other people find easy to communicate with us. And so this is what's often called the platinum rule, which is to treat other people how they want to be treated. That's the platinum rule. The golden rule, treat everybody how you want to be treated. That's out. Platinum rule, treat others how they want to be treated is in. I first learned about this eight years ago when I picked up an executive coach, Laura Moriarty, and she and I worked together for several months. I did a 360 evaluation. We got the feedback from my team and my boss. And we went through and we started to create a coaching plan for how I could improve my own leadership and communication skills. And in in the process of doing this, I learned about how to stretch my communication style from what was easiest for me to what was most effective for the person that I was talking with. And ultimately, a couple years later, I turned the communication styles that I learned from Laura into the four different buyer types that you've heard me talk about on this podcast and in a lot of the content that we share. Those four different buyer types are the relator, the analyzer, the boss and the dreamer. And being able to identify and then stretch your communication style to one of these four depending on who you're working with is easily one of the top three skills that you have to develop if you wanna sell well to all different buyer types, not just the one that you have an affinity with naturally. Now, a couple of days ago, I was actually on a one-on-one call with one of my current photography clients, and she and I were talking about how her sales work has gone over the last several months, since she signed up for the Blueprint to Book More uh, online course that we have and done some one-on-one coaching with me. She said that it's been a huge help in converting more of her inquiries. And, and one of the things that she said, and I thought it was so perfect, she said, why should I settle for making it easy to book only one type of client? when I could learn how to book all of them equally well. Why settle for making it easy to book only one type of client when I could learn how to book all of them equally well? And I love that because it's so true. If you are only able to communicate well with one type of person out of the four main buyer types, it's going to be really hard because you're only able to book your ideal client rather than any kind of client. And so it's, Such a good reminder that Randy brought us, which is to do what you can to make it easy for people to connect with you in ways that don't require a lot of effort on their part. You'll likely get a lot more yeses from them. The number four big takeaway that I want to bring up was... Something that came up in the media panel. Now, the media panel had, I think, almost a dozen uh, editors and, and bloggers and publishers within the wedding industry. And It was led by uh, my friend, Steph Kane. And one of the things that came up was how important it is to turn to the data to see what will drive your business decisions. Turn to the data to see what will drive your future business decisions. And that's because everybody on the stage agreed that your customers already know what they want most from you, and if you pay attention and listen to, either directly or indirectly, what it is that they're sharing with you, they will let you in on exactly what it is that they want more of. Now remember, ultimately, your business exists to solve customer problems. That is why you are in business. That is why your business will continue to survive, if it does, because you are solving customer problems. Now, you may love what you do and your clients may see it as beautiful work of art, but the minute money exchange hands, it's a financial transaction and that changes things. If you want to find success in business, you have to identify where there is a gap between supply and demand. I remember reading about this in a book that I read on e-commerce. This was, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago. And the author was talking about how to come up with a business that you may not even know needs to exist until you do the research. And what he recommended doing was going into Google and looking for where there was a high demand for a, a keyword search. You know wh- What was coming up, what was being plugged into Google as a question or a need that consumers were looking for on Google, and then where was there low competition for delivering information on that particular keyword or set of keywords. And, and this, is, this is where you can identify where is there a gap between the demand, what does the market want, what do people want, and the supply, or in this case, lack of, what is not yet there that you could provide. The concept is the same. When lots of people have a problem, but solutions are not readily available, that's where there is a market opportunity. So you've got to study what the market is telling you. Now, this could happen with a very specific product or service that you offer. I'll tell you that uh, with our only one or two other people that I knew that were really focused on sales coaching as compared with general business coaching. So that was a little niche that I carved out knowing that there was a big demand and not enough supply. But also our copywriting as a company started about three years ago now in 2019, June of 2019. Katie and I were talking and I said, babe, I got to let you know, I have so many clients who are not getting enough inquiries and the current people who are offering copywriting services aren't delivering the kind of copy that we know is going to help convert people into the air inbox. And so I identified a gap there and here we are, 200 plus websites later, we have delivered a service that meets that gap in the market. Now, it may not be a product or a service. It may be a, a style that, that you offer with your wedding services that the current market doesn't have enough supply, of, but there is a demand, but it could also be a part of the process that is important to the, the buyer, to the, the couple that's getting married. One of the things that I've seen that is a gap that is starting to be filled is from photographers who are partnering with designers for really beautifully designed lay-flat services that uh, take place oftentimes before the wedding. It's, It's something that there's a collaboration on and some real design work that goes into that. And photographers who are doing this with their clients are really providing an extraordinary service that is standing out of the marketplace. Uh, I remember you know, maybe a decade ago when videographers started not just delivering wedding films, but same-day edits and, and showcasing them at the reception. That was a big wow factor. Um, what I'm seeing right now is a lot of our, our paper good providers, stationers, who are showing up on the day of the event to handle the paper goods for the planner, Because the planner wants to make sure that they're focused on the things that they need to for planning the wedding in a larger scope. And at the same time, they still want to make sure that tabletop and escort cards and other signage looks amazing for the client experience. And so instead of doing it themselves or with an assistant who may not have as many skills, stationers are now offering their opportunity to hire them for day of installation. Um, You know, another area that I see a gap in the marketplace really over the last several years are planners who are offering not just big day services, but also, uh, you know, rehearsal dinners or or brunches or even coordinating activities or destination management for uh, transportation, hotel and uh, other fun things for out of town guests to do while they're attending the wedding. But the key here is when you identify what people want but don't have current access to or what the market is currently not offering, that's when you have a massive opportunity to create something for them. Now, I will tell you that it's a bit of a double-edged sword. I don't know if you guys have heard the, uh, the, the quote from Henry Ford. It goes something like, if I would have asked people what they wanted, they would have told me they wanted a faster horse. All right. So, you know, this is obviously 115 years ago, um, but we have to be careful that we don't only listen to what the marketplace is telling us, because sometimes they can be wrong. An example of this is online listing sites. Over the last five years, I would say that they have listened too much to their customers who have said, we want to know about price more than anything else when we inquire with vendors. They're getting this information on the surveys that they get back from the people who use their sites. And and so what they have done is they have created an online storefront that really puts primacy on how much things cost. And this is not good for anyone because the couple doesn't know enough about what they need before they get the prices to feel like they can afford what it is that they're learning how much things cost. Remember, they're rookies and they don't know what they don't know, especially in complex sales transactions like wedding services. Now, starting at prices are great. And I do think that starting at prices belong on listings and on your website, but not entire pages or information about specific products or pricing sheets, whether those are PDFs or, or, or brochures that are attached to a listing or available on your website. This does a disservice to everyone from the couple to the vendor and ultimately to the listing site. Imagine that I ask my kids what they want to eat all the time. They'd have Doritos for breakfast. True story. Popcorn for lunch. Also a true story. And they'd have pizza for dinner every night. Plus, they would wind down things with buckets of ice cream for dessert. So just because you ask somebody and they give you the information doesn't mean you have to listen to it without filtering through your own understanding and knowledge and and perspective. You've got to ask the right questions and listen to the right clues about what people want sometimes because they might not know enough to make a good decision on their own. So important to listen to what the market is telling you, but make sure that you're not just simply accepting it and instead processing it through the filter of expertise that you have. All right, big takeaway number five from Engage, and I heard this from two back-to-back speakers. The first was Marcy Bloom, and then the second was Paige Chenault with the Birthday Party Project. And they both said that making people feel important is what this is really about. Making people feel important, making people feel celebrated for who they are, that's what this is all really about. Now, I have to tell you, this was the first engage that I can remember where I did not hear or see the direct quote from Maya Angelou. People will forget what you said. People will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you make them feel. Usually, I see this quote come up several times during the presentations over the two or three days of talks. And, and maybe that's why I get to bring it up on, on this top 10 takeaway summaries because nobody mentioned it, which was a first for me. So I'm going to mention it because it ties in to making people feel important. And that's ultimately what they really want. One of the things that's surprised me about the context that I hear people talk about this Maya Angelou comment is that usually the person who's presenting the ideas doesn't actually spend a lot of time talking about how to make people feel good about whatever it is that they're doing, whatever interaction or service or product that they're offering. I mean, how do you make someone feel seen and heard and celebrated on social media? This is a legit question. How do you do this for your couples? How do you do this on the website? How do you make people feel seen and heard and celebrated? on the website or when they inquire? Or how about this one, when they read your contract? How are you making somebody feel heard when they read your contract, which is out to provide protection for you? Or what about when they get a questionnaire from you about their wedding day? Oftentimes we look at this as a way to pre-qualify clients. How can we make it hard for them to inquire? How can we ask them the questions that we wanna know to see if it's worth our time or if we have to weed them out? How can you weed out, weeding out, from your vernacular, from your language when you're thinking about how you make people feel when they inquire for your services. That's what I want you to take away from this particular point that Marcy and Paige and so many others have brought up, is that when you interact with your clients, what feeling are you creating? How are you making them feel? We say we care, but then we don't always or even most of the time do a good job of putting other people's feelings first. We put our own or maybe it's not our own feelings. Maybe it's the profit that we have for our company or the workflow and how easy it is for us to operate it. Or maybe it's our own reputation or the creativity that we get to pursue as service provider. Now, go back to what Andrew Roby said. We have to put our daily activities first if we want people to see who we are and what we believe in. So if you are going to design a business around serving others first, you should do that. You should serve others first. Make sure that you're asking yourself the question, will this make them feel good? Or alternatively, is this about making me feel good? Remember what Marcy and Paige said, making people feel important is what this is all really about. So if you're doing things right, you will see a huge overlap between making other people feel good and making yourself feel good. But if it's too one-sided, Either you're gonna make a lot of people happy without making a lot of money, or you're gonna make short-term gains and profit at the expense of your long-term prospects and viability as a business. All right, number six. This was from Fallon Carter, who, this is the first time that I had heard her talk, and I gotta tell you, I picked up so much. One of the biggest things that I took away was that we have to get vividly clear about what we want most. We have to get vividly clear about what we want most. And I love this because over the last six to 12 months, this has been really big in my mind. Why are you in business? Why are you in business? What is the reason that your company exists? Why do you do what you do? Why do you serve couples? Why do you offer these services? If you don't know The answers to these questions, you have got to sit down and figure it out. Because this should be your north star, your guiding light. This should be your compass. When things get hard, when things get tough, when you feel burnout or lost or overwhelmed, this is what is going to point you in the right direction. This is what's going to tie you back to your true north. Now, I have found that the answers to these questions come in a number of different responses. Money. Money. People want money from their business. They want freedom from their business. Creativity, the opportunity to express themselves. They want more time. Maybe they had a bad boss in the past. They don't want to work for bad bosses. Or they ha- want to have the opportunity to travel more. Or maybe they want access to idols or mentors or authority figures, people who are important. Maybe they want to reduce the risk That comes with working for another company where you can be laid off on the owner's whim. Or maybe it's who you get to work with. Not just the clients, but also the vendors. These are all different reasons why people start their own business and are their own boss. And whatever it is for you, you've got to get really, really, really clear about it. And make sure that the decisions that you're taking as a business owner are going to get you closer to reaching these goals around the top priorities you have. And that was Fallon's biggest message was that you've got to identify what you want and then make sure that you are saying yes to the things that will get you there and and saying pass or no to the things that no longer serve you anymore to getting to these goals that are laser focused on why you do what you do. Now, I've talked about this in the past. Uh, When I bring up chasing old goals, are you chasing goals that were from months or even years ago? And, And that we have to say no to chasing those old goals. Another one that I see quite a bit is chasing other people's goals. This is something, again, that goes back to that swimmer's analogy of looking left and looking right. Are you looking at the competition and mimicking the desires and the goals that they have? Or are you looking internally and swimming your own race? Fallon also said, stop running in the loop of wanting more. Who doesn't feel that pull of more money, more recognition, more bookings? more opportunities to build your portfolio, to work with better planners or venues or destinations. But again, you've got to go back to what do you want more than anything else. It's not just about more, not just more, more, more. Those can be other people's goals or oftentimes old goals that you have. But at some point, we reach a maturity in our business when we own our business in a way and we set it up so that it supports a lifestyle that we want to have because ultimately time is the most precious resource we all have and we have to design a way of life to create as much profit in this area as we can it's not just about money it's also about time I once heard someone say show me your calendar and I'll tell you your priorities I love this I think it was Ed Milet so what's on your calendar what's most important to you what are you blocking off time for what are you putting on your books Are you putting time with friends? Are you putting time with family? Are you putting time for sleep on your calendar? Are you marking out dates for vacations? Time to spend on hobbies? Because most importantly, you must know your goals outside of work, not just for work. How are you spending time and resources to make those things happen? I'll share this story again, because for me, it was so powerful. Katie and I were on our way down to uh, Mexico, to Nizuk, for Engage in December of 2019. And we got into this massive argument on the way to the hotel. And, and what I realized over you know, the, my reflection time <laughs> when I was uh, in, a, in the lobby waiting for her to cool down was that I was pushing too hard. I was pushing too hard to achieve more, more, more. I got stuck on that cycle, that, that treadmill, that hedonic treadmill of wanting more, more, more. And what I realized is after a few days of thinking about it and, and hearing some of the presentations at the Engage conference a few days later was that I needed to refine what it was that was most important to me. And what I realized is that I had three goals. And, and I wasn't making decisions uh, with my business around those three goals and I needed to reprioritize them. Number one goal since then, and this has been the biggest focus that I have, is to not work between 4 p.m. and 8 a.m. Monday through Friday nor on weekends. Why? Because I want to spend time with my family, my kids and my wife and other family that's close to me. So that is my number one goal. My number two goal is to travel 100 days each year to places that are on the list that I've created for adventures and experiences that I want to explore. All right. hundred days of travel. And then my third goal is to get in the best shape of my life, even as I'm going into my mid 40s, because I want to feel empowered to do what I want when I want without physical limitations. I want to be able to go on a hundred mile backpacking trip. I want to be able to hang out with my kids all day at Disney. I want to make sure that I can spend time doing the things that I love doing in the outdoors and not feel limited because of my physical health. And so these three goals of when I work and and where I travel and how I feel are always at top of mind when I'm making decisions about my business. It's not, will this make me more money? It's, will this help me work less? Will this get me to travel more? Will this make me feel physically empowered? These are the things that I build my work around and I recommend you do the same. Okay, let's go to Top tip number seven, this was Alex Carter. Alexander Carter is uh, an attorney, and negotiations expert. Uh, she wrote a book called Ask for More, and she gave a great keynote. And the topic of her keynote was to ask great questions. One of the things that w- really left an imprint in me was when she told a story about a vacation she went on, and she asked people in the audience to ask her questions about her vacation. And people asked her Questions like, where did you go? Who did you go with? What did you do? Did you have fun? How many days were you gone? And what she highlighted for us in the responses that she gave were that these were all closed questions. They were questions that had a simple, oftentimes single word answer. And because these were the questions that were asked, we got the answers that these questions are designed to achieve, which are short and simple to the point. And instead, what she encouraged us to do, and what I would encourage you to do, is to get better at asking better questions. If you want better answers, then you have to ask better questions. And one of the, the phrases that she left us with is, tell me. Now, tell me is a, is a great prompt. I learned it uh, several years ago with my own coach, Laura, she taught me, tell me more, which I think is a great, simple use of the phrase. And And Laura told me that as somebody who needed to improve his listening skills, that this was going to be the three most important word phrase that I could possibly use. It wasn't a question because I wasn't really great then at asking questions. And to improve that, I was going to tap into a strength that I have, which was a direct request. That's something that naturally comes to me. So Tell me more was a great way for somebody like me who is just learning how to ask great questions to get better answers from people that I was talking with. And that's because it gets people to talk. They dive deeper. They'll explain what it is going on in their mind. They'll clarify what it is that they had just said. And so if we ask this or we make this request of tell me more, then you're going to get a deeper understanding of what it is that the person is going to share another great question that alex carter recommended and i love this one is what are your concerns what are your concerns and it at the at the foundation of it it's to stop guessing and instead to start knowing what the topic of conversation should be about like the media panel that i mentioned a couple of points ago listen to what your customers are telling you and then respond with content that's driven by the data that they're sharing what is it that people want to talk about? Ask, what are your concerns? Sometimes I'll, I'll put it in a funny way of like, what's giving you heartburn? Or, you know, what keeps you up at night about this thing that we're talking about? Or uh, if, if I really know the couple well or the person well, I might say, well, what is the last big argument that you got about this topic? You know, what, what was it that you were fighting about? These are things that give you insights into what's most important and what's holding people back from moving forward. Now, three great areas in the sales and marketing journey to use this question or this approach of trying to identify what are the concerns that your buyers have. Number one, when you're learning about what drives your ideal client to make purchase decisions through feedback forms and questionnaires, you have got to ask them what their concerns are. One of the things that, that we ask our clients' clients when we're conducting brand communication strategies or doing copywriting services is that we will literally ask their clients, what was the one biggest hesitation that you had before saying yes to booking whoever the client is? Another question that we ask is, what were you most concerned about when you were looking for a photographer, planner, station, or whatever it may be? So you, you want to ask these questions on your feedback forms and questionnaires. The second area that you can use this in sales and marketing is when you're asking questions on a discovery call. Remember, the discovery call is to help you learn what they want and need the most, but it's also to help your buyer discover what it is that they want and need the most. So by asking them questions like, what are your concerns or what are you most nervous about or "You know, what's holding you back, what's giving you the most heartburn about moving forward with whatever it is that you do, if you ask this question, you will get the biggest objection that you have to then overcome. And that's something that not only you need to know, but they need to know so that when you deliver the answer that is going to work, they understand that they've reached the finish line and can now make a choice. The third thing that you can do during the sales and marketing process is that when you're trying to close the deal, you can ask people directly, just like Alex Carter was talking about, what's holding you back from saying yes to us working together? What are your concerns about the proposal that I have put out? Don't assume that it's price. It could could be something entirely different. You want to make sure that you are getting that information before you assume what it is that is holding them back. And one last piece of advice, don't just stop with the first person who inquires. Make sure that you're asking the first person who inquires what other people in the decision-making group have that is holding them back. What are their concerns? A lot of times when you get ghosted, especially later in the decision-making process, it's because other people have concerns that you have not yet identified or found a way to help overcome. All right, next one, Natalie Cadet James. She had lots of good takeaways, including seek and know your ideal client inside and out, which we just talked about. Focus on yourself and not the competition. Remember, swim your own race. And also time is the most precious resource that we have. But the biggest takeaway, and the one that I felt so many people need to hear at this stage in their business growth, is that she said, I'm just now hitting my stride at 45 years old. I'm just now hitting my stride at 45 years old. And what's really interesting is that's after half a decade as an attorney and 15 years as an event planner. So 20 years into a professional career, 15 as an event planner, she's just now hitting her stride. And this is such a good reminder that you are not going to see success overnight. It's not going to happen overnight. It's not even going to happen over a few years. Real success the kind that leads to genuine happiness with your performance and where you're at with your business, that takes time a lot longer than you might think. Promoting yourself to owner or CEO or or president of your company, which I know a lot of you have. I saw this in the job titles for the Engage uh, uh, profile book. Um, You know, CEO, owner, president. That doesn't mean that you've achieved anything more than a fancy title. If you're the only employee of your company, yeah, you're the owner, you're the CEO or the president, but you're also the janitor for your home office. And you're the personal assistant who books your travel for all the company's employees, you. This is not just a lesson in humility. It has to do with managing expectations and feeling happy about where you're at and what level of success you have in your life. Now, my brother, Ben, he co-owns a talent management company in Los Angeles with his his buddy, David. And before that, he and David were both one of the youngest partners at big talent agencies. And I remember about 10 years ago when my brother had made agent. And I asked him, I was like, Ben, what the hell do you do? Like, what exactly do you do? And he had over 100 clients in his little area of the company. He was working in TV lit. So working with writers and directors and I asked him, what do you do? And he thought about it for a while. And he said, I manage client expectations. That's what I do. I manage client expectations. And by that, he meant that he was constantly working to find talented people who had the ability to do great things, whether that was to be a showrunner or a writer or a director or whatever it may be. And then he was going to match them up with studios who could tap into that talent. But he also had to make sure that their hopes and dreams were realistic when he started working with them. If they weren't, how was he ever going to make them happy? Because unhappiness is the distance between where you are and where you want to be. And if you're constantly setting unrealistic goals or trying to accomplish them in extraordinarily short periods of time, you're going to live a life of unhappiness. And that's no fun. Success, the top planners or photographers or floor designers or stationers or whatever field you're in, that takes years and years and years. You have to go through a lot of repetitions, hundreds, maybe even thousands of clients and projects. And it takes time, charisma, connections, luck, natural ability. These are all really helpful to get things going fast especially at the beginning, but there's also a ton of hard work that goes into achieving greatness after you run out of where your luck or your connections or charisma or natural ability will take you. You have to get in there, roll your sleeves up and do the hard work. And that takes time. Unless you're first to market, it's often a long, slow road to success. So buckle up and enjoy the ride. It's going to take some time. All right. Here's another one that I love. This was from Sydney Novotny. Cindy had uh, easily my favorite line of the entire conference. She said something to the effect of, I think it's so important to talk to everybody on the phone to really qualify them as potential clients that I'll put my phone number up in a bathroom and answer every single call that comes through. (laughs) And she said it in only the way that Cindy Novotny could. So I thought that was a very funny takeaway and, and again, talked about how important it is to get on the phone to discover whether or not and qualify a client to see if, whether or not they're going to be a good fit for you. But the one thing that I wanted to share with you, and this was such a simple concept that I thought was really important. She asked, what's the difference between a thoroughbred racehorse and a greyhound? What's the difference between a thoroughbred and a greyhound? And that's that the horse runs because he wants to win. The dog because he's motivated by the rabbit. Now, what you're really getting at here is that you have to do it because you want to do it, not because of some external reward. You have to do what you want to do because that's something that you believe in, you're passionate about, you're driven by internally, intrinsically, not because of an external reward or some sort of extrinsic desire that you have. Not the carrot, all right? And not the fear of the stick. This was something that I first heard about when the author Daniel Pink wrote about it in a book called Driven. And if you haven't read it, I would absolutely recommend it. It's a fabulous book, very easy to read, and it's really informed a lot of what it is that I have done in trying to create the kind of culture or supervisor-supervisee relationship in the companies that I have operated both in the past now and also on direction to my clients. And really what Pink talks about is that there are three things that you need to make sure are set and in place for somebody if they're going to achieve greatness within their line of work. And that is autonomy, mastery, and purpose. So if you give people enough autonomy, independence, and freedom to do things their own way, they are driven by an internal desire of mastery, competence. They want to have the skills. And ultimately, if you connect that with a sense of purpose of what you're doing and why it matters to the people that you serve, then you're going to find that people, employees, team members will contribute well. They They will achieve great things. So autonomy, mastery, and purpose. This is what drives us to do well. And ultimately, what you have to do is create a job for yourself at your own company where you're you're the president CEO and owner of your company. But you're also maybe the only employee or one of the few employees. You've got to make sure that your job has those three components in it as well. Autonomy, mastery, and purpose. You won't need money or recognition or followers or other external motivators to drive you to achieve success if you can set up your position in this way. Go back to what Fallon said, clarify vividly what you want. This is so important when you're thinking about this internal or intrinsic drive. When I ask my clients and colleagues and friends who own businesses what they want most, here are some things that I hear from them. Recognition. And and this is a big driver, I get that. Esteem is a big psychological motivator, but you can be the one who gives that to yourself. You don't have to get recognition from other people to find success. It's good enough. And in fact, it's probably most important for you to be proud of your work and to look on the work that you do for self-satisfaction and contentment. You don't have to look for others for approval. Another big reason that motivates people internally is this sense of purpose and that's serving others to experience that helper's high that I talked about earlier, what fills your cup. And if you can find something that fills your cup and make that a part of your daily activities, then your strong sense of purpose is going to be an internal motivator. It's going to make you that thoroughbred that's going to want to win for the sake of that purpose. That's driving you forward. Another big reason that I hear is creativity And, and that's about getting what you can from the work that you're doing, but also realize that you can be creative outside of work and that it can come from hobbies or non-professional pursuits. So yes, I love that you're driven by creativity, but don't get stifled by the, the need to be creative in every single project that you do. That may be a big internal motivator for you, but recognize that you can get it outside of your day-to-day work. Only the truly fortunate and lucky are going to have ideal clients to work with every single project. For most of us, we have to settle for most of the time and just know that just because you don't get to express that creativity on every project in the way that you want doesn't mean you can't find it outside of work. Another thing that can really help drive that that internal desire to succeed is autonomy. And this is probably the most common reason why people own their business. If you focus on this, of having that, that independence, that freedom to do things when you want, how you want, with whom you want, for whatever reason you want, you'll no longer find yourself pinned down by work. You won't feel burnout. And hopefully your schedule will, will align with those desires that you have. Ultimately, you'll be doing the things that you love. And then the last big reason that I see people find purpose at work or, or find an intrinsic desire to succeed is that they're driven by a sense of wanting to get better at what it is that they do. And this is that mastery that Daniel Pink talks about. And that that comes in the form of competence. People want to learn to get better for the sake of self-improvement. And so start to identify what are you not good at that you need to be and how can you get better. Then make a list of those things and start aligning a way to train yourself or to learn from other people to get better at those skills and assignments. Because at the end of the day, this is all about empowerment. You will be driven to succeed by feeling empowered to do what you want to do. And that's really a combination of two things, the autonomy, the freedom to do what you want And then also the competence, the ability to do those things. That's what drives most successful business owners. The independence to do what you want and the competence to actually do it. So make sure that you're focused on whatever it is that motivates you and go back to that day in and day out to keep that intrinsic desire high. Now, the last big takeaway that I want to highlight came from our own talk. Uh, Katie and I gave a presentation at one of the breakout sessions and our talk was about how to charge more. And, And essentially it was if you want to charge more, you have to focus on building need in the mind of the buyer, not in promoting your services. Because ultimately, the willingness to pay that your buyer has, how much will they pay for your services, that's determined by how much somebody wants whatever it is that you're selling. Again, high prices are the byproduct of their desire. It's like the scale that you step on. You have to focus on the activities, burning calories or, or consuming healthier foods to get the number that you want. If you want to charge more, you have to create more desire. You have to build more value. You have to offer reassurance now one of the slides in our presentation had a jacket on it and it was just a a blank slide with a, a jacket and we asked people how much do you think this is worth well there were no other indicators other than just the photo that that people could use and and at the end of the day, the jacket was a Montclair jacket. It was th- a little bit over $3,000. And one of the things that we wanted to highlight was that when people, couples, go through your portfolio, whether that's in social media, or uh, you know, maybe on Pinterest, or on your website, and they're just photos of whatever it is that you do, they don't know how much something is worth. They need they need context. Even if you give them information about the features of your services or, or a brand history or biography of who you are and what your brand stands for, those are helpful, but it still does not give you enough information about how much something is worth. And that's because ultimately, the price is not absolute. It's relative to what's around it and also how much somebody needs it and what we did on the following slide after we, we featured this, this photo of this jacket is we put a weather forecast for Antarctica where this, this parka was now juxtaposed with a negative 44 degree temperature and we asked people how much more or less do you want to pay for it knowing that you have to go on a trip to Antarctica obviously it's going to be more and then the next slide was 90-degree weather in New Orleans. And we asked people, how much would you pay for the jacket more or less than the $3,000? And nobody even wanted to buy it in the first place because they had no desire or need for it. It was the same brand, same features, but different context, and therefore much lower demand and therefore less willingness to pay. And, and ultimately, at the end of all of this, the big takeaway is that it's your job to drive desire and then, old, and then show how your product or service helps meet those needs, helps fulfill those desires. And if you can get your mind off of what you charge and instead put the focus on how you drive desire and create value and, and, and a higher willingness to pay, that's when you're going to start to see the results, the outcome that you want to. Now, if you were in New Orleans with us in... June of 22. I hope it was a successful conference for you. If you're not an engaged fan or have not yet attended, I encourage you to look seriously at it. Uh, As of now, there are still dates open and available for attending in Ireland in October. Uh, And if you go, I hope that you reach out. We'd love to see you there and spend time with you. Uh, We had over 30 clients attend this last one. I feel like we got a chance to talk to most or all of them, some for the first time. We've had a lot of email correspondence or even Zoom calls or phone calls, email exchanges, but this was really the first time to be able to hang out. I ended up doing a Peloton workout next to a client. That was awesome. Um, But I also had a lot of people who, like you, maybe aren't yet clients, but listen to the podcast and had shared with me how much it had helped their business grow over the last several months. If that's the case and you're at the next Engage, please come by and say hi. I hope that my top 10 takeaways was something that brought you some practical application to what it was that I picked up. And uh, please, re- as always, reach out. If you have any questions that I can help clarify Uh, Sam at IDActionConsulting.com or you can just reach out on Instagram and DM I am the guy on the other side. Boom, that's it for this episode on Own Your Business. If you've heard me on a stage or a workshop or someone else's podcast, you know I have a hard time keeping it short, but I know you're busy. So thanks for spending time with me today. You have a ton of options for guides when it comes to getting you to where you want to go. I hope you found someone you can continue to trust. If you have a friend who could use practical strategies to own their business, please share this episode with them. If you can't think of anyone in particular, we'd settle for a quick review on whatever podcast platform you listen through.